teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. of other people, that becomes most of who we are, why we live, and our whole purpose of our living and our existence. Here's, here's one of the great reasons why the Christmas break was fabulous for Yvonne and me. We went back to San Francisco, and then we went down to Burbank, California, to rendezvous with our only grandchild. And this is our grandson, and um, Lucas is about 16 months old, and I cannot believe, as a first-time grandfather, how much I could actually be in love with another human being with whom I've never even had a single understandable conversation. And that, to me, is really weird because all of my life is about words. All my life is about conversation. And yet I would do anything for this little life. He uh, becomes a high motivation for a lot of things that I, I do in my life. And uh, I spend uh, a significant amount of my private time writing. So I've published about six books now. And one of the main reasons I publish them is I know that by the time this young man is an adult, I probably won't be around. And I want to have as much influence in his life as I possibly can for his faith in the values of what life really means. So I love the whole concept that in his hands will be one day a lot of the books that I've written and I hope that as little Lucas grows up into being a godly man by, by God's grace, that he'll be able to read what Grandpa said, and that maybe those words and that insight and maybe life experience will help him become wiser and more effective in the life he lives. Well, it's not just about the third generation. It's about the second and, and generation as well as that third. And so here's my entire family. We got together for the Christmas break. And one of my dreams on my, my life list was to go visit the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, and that's very close to Burbank. So I treated my entire family. We went over there, and the kids were not really all that excited. So why do you want to go to a presidential library? What's there? We don't want to read a lot of books. So, oh, no, 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 there's, there's a lot more than just books at one of these presidential libraries. And I said, you'll probably capture a great sense of what amazing leadership is not only in the life of an individual, but the impact he made on the greatest nation in the world, and how the, one of the greatest leaders ever in our nation impacted the entire world. And they're, they're kind of looking at me, Ma, you're pr promising an awful lot, Dad. And uh, so we went, and it was amazing to watch this second generation who knew very little about this president go through the entire experience and start to feel like, wow, my life and have that kind of impact on the life of others if I can take here the clues of what it means to be an impactful, influential individual in the lives of others. And over and over again, we kept talking about it's not so much how many people we impact. It's a life that we live for God's grace that we impact and influence anybody that God brings in our circumference of influence. So whether or not we ever have a presidential library built after us is really inconsequential as much as have we been faithful to live the life God wants us to live so that the lives that we encounter in our routine are going to be influenced for eternity. Now, even as I say that, it's a, it's a phenomenal thought 
that beginning today, it's the first time that we've ever even thought about it. Every life that we encounter is something that God in his sovereignty has ordained, and in his sovereignty has ordained the potential for those lives to be influenced by us personifying Jesus Christ in the lives of all these other people. Whether it's a coworker in the office who's desperately in need of something that will define that four-letter word called hope, because they have none. Outside of what they get in the paycheck, outside of the notoriety on the job, outside of the performance that they can have and say, yeah, I accomplished these things. The absence of hope can be filled up by any one of us who personifies Christ in their life and the routine of how they live their lives. They're not going to see it in very many other places. Now, all life isn't just about fun and family and great experiences and and ethereal thoughts. Sometimes God just wants us to enjoy this life. So since the last time we've been together, I've enjoyed this life. And one of the ways I enjoyed it was here in, in Texas. So I, I was blessed. I mean, when I put the crosshairs or the illuminated post from my reticle on this eight-point buck, I was calm, I was cool, I was collected. I said, God, I'm going to obey your word, and I'm going to show dominion over the creation of this world. So I pulled that trigger, and, and I, I depressed it, and with one shot, that venison and all those steaks and all that sweet sausage was down on the ground. And this was a delightful moment, and, and I was able to actually, I bounded the antlers myself, and it was a fun part of the, the, the Christmas project. And I'm thinking to myself, there, there is no way that life can get better than living in Texas, serving Jesus Christ, and having the privilege to harvest uh, the, the winter food like this. Well, there is one more thing, and I suppose that would be as we as men gather here at Warrior's Heart and ask ourselves, whatever it is that we love to do, whatever hobby it is that kind of fills our spirit and makes us feel tremendously fulfilled as a man, how can God use me further, not just for the things I enjoy, so we're so narcissistic, it's all about me and my experiences, But how can God use me in such a way that's going to advance his kingdom in a way in which maybe no one will ever remember my name? But when I see Jesus Christ face to face, I'll have the privilege of looking into his eyes and he will look into mine and we'll have that moment of connection when we meet for the very first time face to face and I'll feel deeply satisfied. Now, no matter what men know, I know that the Lord of Lord knows that I was obedient to him and he used me to influence the lives of other people for eternity. I don't think I could describe Warrior's Heart and what it means to me and to all of my fellow volunteers who do this, why we gather together. It's not just so that we can have a great experience and say, yeah, we had a great time together as men. But we have this driving burden for the city of Houston that as God is for some reason in the sovereignty placed us in the fastest growing city in the United States, the most diverse city in the United States, becoming one of the wealthiest cities in the United States, on the threshold of not just being one of the leading cities of our great country, but on the threshold of being a global nation, a global city for all nations to look at. How on earth can we be a part of what God wants to do for eternity not just for notoriety from the level of any kind of, of, of title that comes onto a book, 
or a story that is the lead for a particular news agency, but for eternity realizing that maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of men can come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way because of us. And we had a part in bringing them closer to eternity through Jesus Christ. And then as a result of their eternity being changed, the life of their wife is then changed, and the life of their children are then changed. Now, I know that in nonprofit organizations, and I, I'm part of all that, if you start to show pictures of cute little kids, the money just starts rolling in. But if you start to talk about ministries that talks about adults, people's checkbooks never leave their, their pocket. Very, very difficult. And yet, the statistics are very, very clear. That if children come to know Jesus Christ, the possibilities of their parents and siblings to come to know Christ is less than 20%. The chances of anybody coming to know Christ in their nuclear family from a child's involvement and influence is less than 20%. But if you take the husband, the father in a home, and he becomes the influential spiritual innovator in that home, over a 90% chance that the rest of the family will come to know Jesus Christ and their eternity is changed. So to me, the statistics are very powerful that if we can deal with adults and the heads of homes, and in fact, deal with men on an eternal level, we have got the potential to make an amazing impact for the kingdom. Now, when I think about that particular aspect and think about one of my other joys in life, and that's riding on my hog, I I have a Kawasaki Nomad, and I, I like to get on that thing. And oddly enough, now being three years in Houston, I've not found a single rider that yet I can connect with who can say, hey, yeah, let's get together with a bunch of guys and ride. Hey, we've got a bunch of non-believers that ride. Let's bring them along, and when we get down to our destination, we'll just kind of share our story about what life really means to us. None yet. But yet I'm still hoping, because that's a great way to connect with men, who can let down their guard and say, yeah, this man, life is so busy. Life is stressful. When I get on my bike and allow that asphalt, like ribbons of blackness, just feet underneath my boots, I can really be who I am. Well, when I think about that, and I, and I love this picture because you can see these motorcycles, these hogs placed around this 18-wheeler. And if you're sitting in the driver's seat, of this particular 18-wheeler, you cannot see any one of these four motorcycles. These are the blind spots of an 18-wheel rig. Now, maybe a truck driver would never realize that these are his blind spots, but every one of us who's on a motorcycle and rides, we know these are the blind spots of an 18-wheeler. And we don't like to be here in those blind spots. So for us to live, for us to survive, we like to steer clear of these places. Because we know that if we cannot be seen, bad things can happen. And whenever we think about any of our blind spots and we are so overly confident with what we can do, sometimes we forget what we can't do because we can't even see what's going on. Disaster looms. So here's a great picture of what blind spots do in the lives of individuals. And no man, no matter how confident we are, no matter how talented we are, no matter how knowledgeable we are in the area of our expertise, None of us would like to see the consequences of this blind spot in our life. None of us. And yet probably every one of us, somewhere along the line, maybe we haven't paid attention to it lately, is that every single one of us who's a human being, who's a man, who's a high production kind of individual, 
We all have blind spots in our life. And if we don't have trusted lives around us who can lovingly and encouragingly and positively point those things out, our ability to get better is probably going to be incredibly limited. Here's a funny cartoon. One guy looking at another guy in the frontier world, an obvious difference in their attire. And so the average guy who has absolutely no problems asks his buddy, ever wonder why you're unpopular? Well, there's that one aspect about blind spots in our life. that sometimes we function and we continue to habitually act irresponsibly because we have no one pointing out to us, you know, everybody else around you knows that this is a problem. And you're the only one with your blind spots that really isn't capturing a clue on how to get better. Well, we put two things together here for probably commonly among all of us. Our performance-driven lives, we like to be highly productive. We like to be very successful at what we do. And yet if we have blind spots that are not being pointed out, we have a bit of a challenge. And this is not so much an indictment on us. In fact, it's not even, even close to that. But it's an observation that the lives of the people that we're going to be influencing and working around for the next seven days, there are a lot of people around us who are high-power, high-energy people who have blind spots, and everyone around them knows how to stay out of those blind spots of that other individual because they're definite weaknesses. But if we can, if we can bring a perspective of freshness and transparency and honesty in the lives of our coworkers, put our arms around them, build in relationships with them around this one particular issue, especially as it is related to issues of spiritual perception. Man, maybe 2015 can be the year that a vast majority of us can be attracting people to come to know Jesus Christ because of this maybe one special lesson. Well, there is a passage of Scripture that we're going to deal with that wraps all this together, and it's an amazing passage in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. In Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, as we continue our study in this wonderful presentation of the life of Jesus Christ, very manly-oriented, it's all around the activity and the functionality of Jesus Christ. This is what he records about an episode between Jesus and the Pharisees. Chapter 7 of Mark, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. And notice unclean there is in quotes. It was a perception rather than a reality. That is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. A couple words there that are really powerful. Tradition. Ceremony. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as a washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. There are some people around us who are incredibly religious. And on the basis of their high emphasis of being religious, they judge the external activities of others. And it becomes a huge, massive, eternal turnoff for those who need a touch from truth in eternity. Now, gentlemen, if we realize that, 
And we realize that many of the people that we're going to be running across in the next seven days of our routine are going to be in that camp. Maybe we can bring to them a freshness about reality, about their life, how they are actually loved, and how eternity can make a difference in their life, not just facing, squaring off with religious fanatics who judge people because of their external activity. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law, based upon that analysis of the first four verses, they asked Jesus. Now you would think, like your professor, who's one in a few very rare guys who announces the only bad question is a question that's never asked. Well, that's not true. All of us who are in pedagogy do teach, we realize there are really bad questions. And here's one of those examples of a bad question. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? It wasn't a question. It was disguised as a question to be an open criticism of Jesus. Now, of course, we're living with 2020 hindsight, and most of us would say, yeah, to accuse Jesus with a veiled question is probably not a smart thing to do. But people do it all the time. And when we think about this particular episode here with the Pharisees and the teachers who have come from Jerusalem with an agenda. They have come to see Jesus and engage Jesus with an agenda. They were not seeking truth. They were there to examine Jesus based upon their standards of what was acceptable as righteous. They saw these people eating with unclean, notice again, unquoted here, unclean, and ceremonially unwashed. So the emphasis here that uh, that Mark gave, which I really love, is he used the word saw. It was with a visual perception, not a spiritual understanding. It's what they saw with their eyes, not what they knew true from their spirit. So the basis of their accusation that came against Jesus Christ was based upon human sight, not spiritual perception. Now, I don't know if you're surrounded or maybe you have engagement with somebody who's in an important position who, who practices this whole business of what it means to be uh, uh, asking questions and with a subtlety in the background, uh, somebody who, who has a, um, a, a habit of agreeing with you face-to-face, but behind the scenes they change things to make you look bad or to give you the impression openly that uh, things are fine and you're in total agreement with them, but then behind the scenes, they're actually engineering opportunities for what you have suggested publicly would fail. Uh, And and, and that that kind of habit of life we find all over the place. Uh, People who are constantly behaving that way. And that's what some of these Pharisees and teachers were, were doing. They wanted to sound like they were really interested in agreeing that Jesus was a teacher. But they had a hidden agenda inside of them that was constantly critical and negative. Now, if you have the perception and God has given you the ability to discern that in the lives of other people, you can make a huge difference in the lives of everybody else in the office. Everyone recognizes it. No one likes it. Everyone hates it. And you could be a stimulation in the lives of people who just want someone to speak the truth. Someone who's not going to be manipulating behind the scenes. Someone who's not going to do the political scene up front and then actually do what they want to accomplish for their own selfish gain behind the scenes. 
If we can accomplish that alone, the lives of people around us are going to build their trust in saying this individual is someone that we could put our faith and trust in. Conflict equals the demand to observe tradition. That's what's happening here in this particular chapter as Jesus Christ engages the Pharisees and the teachers. The tradition ruled their daily routine, and they wouldn't even recognize that this was a stimulation. The opinion of other people in the academy was more important to them than the discernment of spiritual truth. That's pretty powerful stuff. So if we are the kinds of people who are going to be that way, hidden, trying to manipulate behind the scenes, present a public opinion that gives us time to manipulate things behind the scenes. If we are like that, spiritually, we are no better off than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who criticize Jesus. The second part of this passage of Scripture continues on with that amazing lesson. And in verse 7 of this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ, uh, starting with verse 6 of this passage of Scripture, after the Pharisees asked that question, Jesus Christ replies. Now, most of the time when I sit in and listen to a person teach, I'm trying to listen to how this teacher is engaging students, whether or not their pedagogy skills are at a high level, because we're looking all the time for very effective teachers. Now, if a student in the class asked a question and all of a sudden the teacher answered the apparently honest question of the student this way, I'd be a little, little alerted. So Jesus responds to the question, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Man, oh man, he, he doesn't even finish the first sentence and everyone's breath is taken away. I hope by God's grace that when I make inquiry, when I engage the lives of other people, God is not up there saying, Bruce, I knew you were on your way and you were the hypocrite. We warned everybody that was coming. I hope that there's an honesty and sincerity in me and in all of us as we engage other people from the standpoint of what's supernatural, spiritual, and eternal. It's not about us dominating the lives of other people. It's about us being a pipeline of Jesus Christ to the lives of others. If we ever use inquiry, if conversation is ever a tool or an instrument on our behalf to try to dominate somebody else, to put our thumb of pressure on somebody else, we've got a huge problem. You guys, we know what it's like. You meet someone for the very first time and you shake hands. You know what the dominant handshake is like, right? I'm a pastor and I've shaken so many hands, it's not, not funny. And we actually had a time in class as pastors as we trained how to shake other people's hand so that no one comes up and crushes your fingers before you get a chance to just engage them in a relationship. Because when someone does a dominant handshake, crushes your fingers, it puts you on your heels. And it's no longer a position of ministry to them. It's trying to figure out how in the world can I, can I regroup in order to engage this guy, find out who he really is. Why is he trying to dominate me from the very beginning? Guys, we do that with a handshake. We do that with a conversation. We do that with, an, with a question. We do that with initiative. And Jesus Christ knew that the Pharisees and the teachers came from Jerusalem with an agenda. And their agenda was hidden in this passive, aggressive, 
inquiry. And Jesus Christ would have nothing to do with it. And he engaged them with the attack that they had given to him. Now, may none of us ever be in that particular position. As we represent Christ, not just trying to survive in a place where we have to protect ourselves for the purpose of influence. The collective question felt their inquiry was legitimate as a group. Every one of the Pharisees and teachers thought, oh, that's a good way to present our position and to hide us and protect us from any domination that he would direct in our path. Not so smart to be so overconfident. Jesus does not answer their question. Now, if there's anything we can learn from the pedagogy of Jesus and his personality, very powerful. Instead, Jesus pinpoints their fallacies. Their hearts are far off by choice. It's not about how well we can ask the question, not how well we can make the statement from the standpoint of conversation. It's not the position of power and dominance that we take, whether it's from a handshake or a position or seating. Instead, it is whether or not when we engage the lives of other people, is my heart right with God so that I can not only do well with what God has assigned me to do, but be highly influential in the lives of other people that he brings within the circumference of my life today. What a powerful lesson that we can see if we can just tune our ears to what Jesus Christ is doing. The Pharisees and the teachers have chosen human tradition over God's commands. Now, some of the times that we look at a passage of Scripture like this, we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, don't worry about me, Bruce. I don't have any religious traditions. But it's not just about religious traditions. It's about what really rules our life from the standpoint of our values. Some traditions will never be considered religious, but definitely if we act upon those values, they are just as stupid. Here's a great poster. Title, tradition, and this is an explanation underneath the word tradition. Just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. Now, I don't know if you know of anybody, maybe some of you here have run with the bulls. I've never run with the bulls. It's not on my life list. I have one friend who had it on his life list, and he and his brother went over to Spain two years ago to run with the bulls. I said, Scott, you're crazy. He said, no, I'm not crazy. He says, I got this all figured out. My brother and I, we've done a lot of research, and we've learned from our research that 75% of the other people who are running with the bulls, they're all drunk. So we've got our strategy. We just want to keep them between us and the bulls. So their tradition there of getting drunk and then running with the bulls, we're not following that. But we're going to run with the bulls and use them as our buffer. And that's what they did. They said it was hilarious. They said, we didn't even need to do all that training and all that running. We just knew how to dodge between the bulls and keep those other guys between us and these wild animals. We came out totally unscathed. We weren't even close. In fact, we were laughing our heads off. There's something about how people do things with the crowd. That if all we do is follow the crowd and it reflects our values and that's how we function the lives of the people, we may not be doing the smartest thing possible. Well, here at the very end of this section of Scripture, this is what the Scripture says to us in verses 14 and 23. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me. Notice he pulls them away from the Pharisees and the teachers. Jesus Christ is very directive with his lesson. You can watch the movement as the Pharisees and the teachers 
come to Jesus with a question. Jesus Christ doesn't answer the question, but gives an indictment to their heart, which is far from him. Then Christ moves away from the Pharisees, calls the crowd with him, and he teaches the crowd the lesson that he wants them to learn. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it comes out of a man that it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. It's a matter of source. Where does that statement come from? Not from outside in and then out, but it comes from the inside. That's its origin. The source is from inside of us because we know we have a sin nature that needs to be under the justification, the reconciliation, the redemption of what Jesus Christ has done. That empowered by the Spirit of God to make a difference. Verse 17, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked them? Don't you love that about Jesus and his disciples? It wasn't always this lovey-dovey relationship. Are you guys really that out of touch with what I'm saying? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean tradition? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus Christ declared all foods clean. That was before we had to go organic. That was before we had plastic in our hamburger. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. And from within, out of man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Tradition... Man's habit imposed upon other men, that's where the challenge comes from. As he addresses a crowd, he makes this distinction. Do not determine your morality based upon what other men say. Instead, the truth is based upon the reality of a nature that's inside all of us that is polluted by sin. It is a heart issue. Not how we react to other people at the office place because of Word spoken, not how we react at the marketplace because of things that other people do, but instead what our heart is before Almighty God. You could capture your heart today with the Word of God, with Jesus Christ dominating the truth, that He is your first and most important priority before you ever go into that workplace. So that those who hear about the judgment of other people, those who hear the criticism of words by other people, that will not be their only perception of life and, by all means, not their only perception of what Christianity is. But when they think of Christianity, may they first think of us and words that welcome them into their lives, words that are not words of judgment, not words of criticism, not words of limitation, but instead words of hope, words of faith, Words of trust. That's what we want them to hear. And that's what they want. we want them to see as we live it out, Jesus personified in their lives. All food is clean. It's not a matter of judging other people because they're eating beef, not because they're eating a hamburger, but it's their life that we're more interested in 
not just health, food, fads. 13 unclean symptoms. Three of them by category are simply this. Selfish desire, angry expression, careless living. If we are going to be the kinds of men who are making influence in the lives of other people, let's help them see their blind spots and function in the blind spots of others who really just judge other people out of their blind spots. That's why people are highly critical of one another because they don't even see their own faults. But if in our loving, caring, gracious way as Christians, we can not only be humble and and living a life of modesty because we know we've got blind spots among all those who are our fellow workers, that we can be welcoming in realizing that our faults and our shortcomings are going to be strengthened because of the, the ability and the capacity of others around us. That's why we value others on our team. When they ask, why in the world are you like that? Why are you so non-judgmental? I thought Christians always have a list of don'ts. And we can just smile back. No, we Christians have a greater list of things that we do. One of the great things that we do is to recognize that we are nothing but imperfect people who are forgiven. And that's exactly the kind of message that Jesus Christ wants you to hear. If you ever want to hear more, I'd be happy to be the one to share that good news with you. Helping other people live in a world where everyone has blind spots and so many don't recognize them. Let's be the humble one who recognizes that we do and will welcome all who have them so that graciously we can engage the truth and eternity of Jesus Christ just like he did here. Have a great time in your table talk, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.